Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. We're all about helping you make the most money you can in the investment world. Today, what we're doing is sort of akin to, I don't know if you've watched those shows where magicians, you know, they have a sort of a, like a plastic bag over their head because they don't want to reveal their identity as they take you behind the scenes to show you how some magic tricks actually work. You know, we all know that a woman isn't being sawn in half on stage, but it certainly looks like it, right? So how do those tricks work? Magicians come out behind the scenes, but they hide their identities because, you know, this is information that um, other magicians don't traditionally want out there. So today we have a real expert in the field of money, and he's going to demystify some money myths for you. For example, you might have heard that uh, more wealthy Singaporeans are looking at commercial real estate because those ABSD hikes uh, could be eating into revenue in terms of investment in property. But does this rest on a fundamental idea that property investment should be part of everybody's portfolio in Asia if you want to make money. Now, is that a myth or is that close to truth? Well, we're going to find out today. We're going to demystify money with Swapnil Mishra, founder of Wealth Zen. That's a great app and adjunct mentor for Singapore Management University. Swapnil, we're going to demystify money. How are you doing today? Are you feeling wealthy? <laughs> I'm feeling, I'm feeling alert for sure after my cup of coffee. <laughs> All right. I want to feel wealthy at the end of this uh, session with you, Swapnil. Help us bust some myths. First up, a lot of people, um, I think what holds people back from investing is this one, that savings is investing. Myth or fact? Hmm. You know, Singapore is one of the top 10 countries in terms of saving habits. I'm not surprised. So, we like to save. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. So, you know, I- Asians tend to save more. Um, and within that, uh, Singapore is one of the highest in savings. One of the, I guess one of the problems with just saving and not investing is it lulls us into this feeling that, uh, you know, my money is there. It is very safe in the bank. And while the money is safe in the bank, there is this sneaky little thief called the inflation that is, you know, eating away into that money and and we don't see it, right? You know, inflation is not a problem that you see unless it hits headlines like the last, uh, you know, one, one to two years. Mm. Um, and, and that is the biggest risk uh, or, or challenge to this uh, myth that if I have saved, it is equal to investing. I really like that. I really like that because inflation is invisible and you are comforted by those figures in your bank account. But the key here is that you could be making better use of that money. And that's why savings is not investing. Investing is using your cash actively, right? Yeah. It has to be, it has to take some risk so that it gets some reward, which helps you overcome the inflation. Now, how much risk you take is going to influence how much return you make. Mm. But zero risk is a guarantee that you're going to uh, erode your purchasing power. I mean, if you, and if, you, if you want to know what inflation is, just have a chat with your grandparents or somebody. Uh, <laughs> how, how life was 40 years back. <laughs> 
Uh, when I had five cents, I used to be able to buy this, that, 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 that. Yes, uh, yes, I know that conversation really well. Um, not everybody's comfortable taking risks, but I take your point there that if you do nothing with your savings, you are going to erode your savings over time because inflation is a fact. It's a fact of life. Is there a metric that we should use when we want to think of investing with our savings? So, uh, the way I see this is when, when you're thinking about these kind of activities, and especially if you're doing nothing, mm. we assume that if doing something means, you know, it's like you don't exercise. Doesn't mean that the first thing you do is sign up for a triathlon. <laughs> you don't have to become a stock trader. You can do, you know, 150 minutes of walking in a week, which over here means at least you can consider improving by buying, you know, Singapore treasury bills, savings bonds, uh, you know, fixed deposits. At least go from zero to three, four percent first. Mm, take smaller decisions right you if, you, if you're investing ten ten thousand dollars invest one thousand in uh say REITs or in some etf so if smaller steps and improve so improvement is the metric not that i'm going to go from savings to uh crypto trading <laughs> yeah i like that i like that oh i have to sign up in a master's in science on investing don't have to do that. And we're going to cover that in a while as well, because I think that holds a lot of people back. I just, people think I don't know enough about the market to risk my money, Swapnil. But what you're saying is, just like you can start with 10,000 steps, or maybe you want to start with just walking five minutes a day, start yeah. small. And that can be, I don't know, fixed, um, fixed income instruments, investing in an ETF, as you mentioned, um, investing with smaller amounts of money. But just think, if you are only saving, think about what you can do to get started with investing. Is that your advice? Yes. You just improve yourself from zero to something. Get to the 3%, 4% mark because... You can get to that. I mean, you look at the look at the banking results for last year. You okay. know, the, it's net interest margin. Yeah. And why is the bank making money on savings account? Because we get zero, and the bank is taking the same money and putting it in a Singapore savings bonds and getting three percent. So think like so, a bank. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Aim for three or four percent. Okay, that's really great. Number two myth that I think it's important to talk about is this. And this holds so many people back. I don't know enough about managing money. I'm not an expert, so I can't get started investing. What do you say to this? Yeah, this actually, in some ways, this myth has been perpetuated by, I would say, distributors of financial products as well, number one. It has also been perpetuated because from a regulatory point of view, there is a need for awareness so that you don't walk into some kind of schemes or scams or, you know, investing decisions where you take, you make an investment decision which doesn't match with your profile. So actually, you don't have to be an expert in the financial markets. You have to be an expert at understanding what a product feature is and what you are comfortable with. Once you understand that, then you are able to make a decision that I don't want to invest in cryptos or into a high-risk asset because if it goes down 50%, I can't sleep at night mm -hmm. uh, and I am happy with just a 4% return. It's absolutely fine to understand and then choose a low return product. It is not. So I think that's where expertise is needed. If you're aiming for, uh, you know, 13% return every year and you want to become an active trader, of course, then you have to have the expertise. So I think that the benchmarking exercise is more important as to who am I, where do I stand with my investment goals and objectives, mm -hmm. how much time I can commit. Not becoming a, a financial expert 
of predicting markets or you know or or breaking down a 100 page cio report you don't need to do that okay <laughs> that's good to know because not a lot of us have the skills to be able to do that um also you know when people hear about oh these at1 bonds uh, they were wiped out with the whole uh you know credit suisse debacle and i i don't want to get caught in that i don't want to be an investor that has to join class action lawsuits to to get my money back because uh credit suisse 81 bonds uh, were wiped out how do yeah. i figure out what is being sold to me because a lot of things are bundled together right yeah. Yeah. and you got to understand the fine print to figure out listen listen what 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 bonds are in this bundle so what what do you say to the ordinary man on the street is trying to figure out what's in the fund what's illusion what he needs to know about what he's buying into so one good thing is that today simple options are available which means If I want to invest $2000, it is possible for me to do that without even encountering this complication of 81s. Hmm. Because the products are available, they are simple, they are diversified, and there are also platforms, you know, let's say Money Owl, right? Hmm. It's a it's a classic uh, platform which gives you simple solutions, uh, simple returns, and the ability to uh, navigate through these complications not by deep diving into 81s, but hmm. rather by Uh, taking a very diversified approach simple instruments etfs uh, and funds and uh, and automating that process for you so you can you choose a path which doesn't force you to grapple with an 81 uh, understanding what it is in the balance sheet uh, believe me even the lawyers would take a you know some time to break down the the massive uh, prospectus that comes with these 81s because they are very complex documents exactly. so yeah, so it's, it's it's you know choose a path which allows you to uh, you know simplify your process of investing I like that. I like that. I like Money Owl. We've had them on the show as well. Fin- financial advisory licensed by MAS NTUC yeah. Social Enterprise simple products um targeted at you know basically everybody. So I like that. Now another yeah. myth that people have is I haven't saved enough to start to invest Swapnil. I don't have a lot of money. yeah this is uh, i personally hear this so many times and uh, that i mean one is the power of compounding right even if you save you know 50 dollars or 500 dollars a month over 10 years that can grow into a a meaningful amount of money mm. so uh, i think somewhere we need to uh, you know it doesn't matter whether you have a uh, billion dollars or a million dollars or 100000 or thousand dollars uh the fact that your well-being is influenced by your decisions uh, that i think that confidence is uh, is something we should i guess in, get inspired by some of the investing decisions that are taken by by people who have small amounts of money so inspiration is the way to solve this i mean look at a social service agency like aida which works with uh, oh, foreign domestic small. workers right small amounts 100 dollars 200 dollars save invest increase awareness so inspire yourself to believe that uh, i guess again financial institutions create this challenge this myth which is i'm sorry we can't uh, offer you any product or service because you don't have 100000 yeah exactly mm, exactly mm. so uh, again the digital revolution is uh, is solving the problem for um, i would say marginalized investors yeah. who have some money and and deserve access to quality products it doesn't matter where you start so it doesn't matter if you start with 1000 10000 100000 the key is 
improvement, as you say, and the action yeah. and the choices that you make in your life. So, um, yeah, there's lots of inspiration about postal workers in the U.S. You know, they live very humbly all their lives, but it was only when they passed on that people realized that they were millionaires because of how much they were sucking away every month and investing. So... You don't need to be rich to start investing. Love that. Swapnil, there are also people out there, and we meet them all the time. We hear from them as well saying, I'm in my 50s, could be in my 40s, and I'm thinking, I have missed out on that runway of compound interest. I've started too late. So there's just no point starting in investing. Um, can you help us with that? <laughs> so two things. One is I personally think of this every 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> so at every milestone i look back and say oh my god i wish i had done this <laughs> and then so and then of course you have you know things like uh, jokovic's interview at the australian open this year right where he said 35 is the new 25 did he say that oh i like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> because they you know the interviewer asked that uh, how do you feel playing with the young ones and he's like what do you mean young you know i'm 35 <laughs> i like that so uh, I, I think it's about getting started. Uh, 50 gives you a runway. The, the impact that age will have is more on the quantum of risk you can take, uh, not so much on is it even worth the effort. Uh, even if you you know start investing at the age of 50, and uh, for 10 years you invest in something which gives you as little as you know 4% returns you still will come out with a 60,000 investment and a 72,000, so a $12,000 gain. 12,000 is money end of the day, right? It's, mm. it's, it's better than zero. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think, I think uh, it's, it's, uh, but it's a, it's a classic reset exercise. We are human beings, so we fall, you know, kind of off track and we just have to get back on track, which means at any age, you can start investing. I like that. Like It may not have been a decision that you've taken 10 years ago when you think you should have, but instead of beating yourself up about it, just think, oh, I'm at a choice point. I'm at a reset point. I can make that decision now and then go ahead yeah. and do it, right? All right. Yeah. I started the show off by talking a little bit about this because, uh, you know, headlines-wise, this is interesting for us in newsrooms that more high net worth could be headed to commercial real estate assets here in Singapore because people are thinking... Listen, there's been a government hike and additional buyer stamp duty. And so we need to recalibrate our portfolio as investors. And I was thinking about this and how it relates to our topic today, because you hear that a lot in Asia. And you hear a lot of parents say that it's Asia. You need to invest in real estate because real estate will always go up. And so it needs to have a place in your portfolio. So what do you say to that statement? So I think we have to understand the the reason why the statement comes out true. Real estate always goes up. Why that statement ends up creating an experience which is actually it goes up in value. There's one fundamental factor with real estate, apart from, of course, the preference as a asset class in Asia. You know, mm -hmm. all the countries in the region, again, it's the same thing in India, it's the same thing in China. The first thing you do is buy a house, you know, buy real estate. Mm. Real estate is a sticky asset. So when you panic, you can go online and sell your stocks. You can get really, you see the results of uh, banks and you're like, oh my God, this whole thing is going to go south. I'm going to sell everything. 
real estate is not in 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 the way we think about real estate we are naturally long term in that thinking so we 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 don't buy real estate with a view that in in 6 months i am going to flip this necessarily a lot of the first real estate that we buy uh is a uh, long term asset we live in it then we go to the second property the third property mm-hmm. so so stickiness is what makes it a long term asset and the minute it becomes a long term asset the chances of it to outperform is much higher so even if you let's say you bought the property in 2000 and in the sars crisis mm. then you saw the global financial crisis then you saw covid but through all of that there were some bumps in the portfolio in in the property prices but it has generally managed to recover because we have given time to that asset class so i think i think time is a factor which is a bigger thing uh, the second is it's a it's a big source of uh, i mean store of value and an income generator yeah. and this is linked to the demographics of asia so there has been a huge migration of population that happens across uh, rural cities rural towns big cities and from big cities to uh, cities like singapore hong kong which are attracting talent right so if you see the journey what is happening is professionals are migrating when they migrate what is the first thing that they need they need real estate so it has been a constant demand for real estate and supply has kind of you know uh, as in it's always trailing the demand that is there and that is one of the big contributors to real estate going up in this part of the world we are not seeing that in necessarily in the you know in in some suburb which is 200 kilometers away from chicago you will not see that because shortage of uh, real estate is not there and that's a big contributor and that's not going to change so you will end up seeing real estate as a big component and a big contributor to uh, wealth generation mm fantastic overview there fantastic overview of that one real estate is always a good investment in asia needs to have a place in portfolio swapnil mishra is my guest today we are busting some money myths and uh you know trying to get think critically through some of these statements that we often hear about money to help us make smart money decisions all right let's look at this one uh financial advisors My advisor has access to a lot of information but I cannot ask too many questions to my financial advisor. Uh what do you say to people who are fearful of coming across as the kind of person who bombards their financial advisor with questions? <laughs> um so firstly legally advisors are bound to answer as many questions as you ask um uh, they're supposed to disclose information so we have a very strong legal framework which protects the investor so it is a duty to ask it is a duty to answer i think we also have to be mindful somewhere that the advisor should be seen as somebody who's facilitating the process sometimes you know there is a tendency to blindly delegate the decision to the advisor so you know i i've seen investors ask this question mm. uh, to the advisor what mm. would you do if you were in my position right 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 they put the the choice on yeah. the advisor yeah mm-hmm. uh, that's 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 dangerous one the advisor is a separate person the advisor has his or her own risk profile yeah yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and and priorities exactly so advisor is balancing three priorities the organization the personal goals and the client mm. so it is i mean we have to be you know it's it's tempting to throw the advisor under the bus both in terms of information and decisions but uh, i think uh, uh, there are enough good advisors out there where they can help with the information and also help with um, facilitating the decision that you are taking but ultimately uh, it's 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 a myth to say that i delegate everything to uh, the advisor 
that's that's in the long run it can be dangerous i mean it might feel comforting to always yeah. let somebody else make the decision about them your money because you think they know more but yeah. think about it it is after all your money and there could be different um, agendas or priorities as you say and your advisor's top priority may not be yeah. making the most of your money i mean i'm sure they want to do that for you but as yeah. you say they are competing priorities sometimes um all right and and, uh, and this and this problem is actually much more when it i mean it's a, it's across the wealth spectrum this happens when you are buying a $10,000 insurance policy it also happens when you are making a $10 million investment decision so it's a very it's it's uh, it cuts cuts across wealth uh, in terms of brackets which is why it's quite uh, important to be addressed uh, by each investor really interesting really really interesting before i let you go i'm going to throw you in final one we've got about 60 seconds on the clock people think buy low sell high is the only cardinal investing principle that you need to abide by true or false uh, it's it's a it's a hindsight insight buy low sell high looks perfect when you look back at something uh, you can't predict anything yeah. so it's it's something which in theory sounds nice it's, mm-hmm. it sounds nice when you're sitting with friends and saying that hey i do this you know i buy low and sell high yeah. but in reality you have to buy invest and buy good value and uh, and hold on to it so that uh, you're able to grow your wealth swap so the mindset it, yeah. instead yeah, yeah. think Absolutely. about value as opposed to telling that story of i bought bitcoin when it was $200 yeah. and now it's i don't know what it is all right thank you so much swapnil really fantastic demystifying money with swapnil mishra founder of wealth zen adjunct mentor singapore management university author of a new book for kids on money what's the title again swapnil freddy the dogged rescuer freddy the dogged rescuer <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much Shopnil for joining us here Thank on you. Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.